This episode is brought to you by Creative Edge Publicity. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let Fear Bounce. I am your host, Kim Langling, and I am so glad that you are sharing just a bit of your day with myself and my guest, Mark Lefebvre, today. He is coming to us from Ontario, Canada. Mark is a writer of the twi- of a Twilight Zone-style speculative fiction, dark fantasy, thrillers, and horror. He sometimes travels to book events with his life-size skeleton companion, Barnaby Bones, and quite enjoys giving people chills and thrills with his writing. When he's not writing or reading, Mark can be found haunting bookstores, libraries, or local craft beer establishments. Again, he comes to us from Southern Ontario. Mark, welcome and Thanks for joining me on Let Fear Bounce. Oh, thanks, Kim. I'm looking forward to doing some bouncing with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't that a great way to start this off? Okay. I'm not afraid. I'm not <laughs> fearful not of afraid. letting things bounce. <laughs> yeah, no fear. <laughs> all right, so I'm just going to pop right into it. Here you've got in your bio, you've got all, you do all kinds of stuff. You're a bookseller, a writer. Uh, an ebook keener and a book nerd. Tell me oh, what yeah. an ebook keener is. Well, I I, uh, I embrace digital reading or di- uh, ebooks in the digital advances in publishing pretty early with a uh, print on demand espresso book machine. Uh, I managed a bookstore that owned one back in two thousand and nine. I w- embraced ebooks the minute they came out, and uh, I'm a huge book nerd. So just because I love ebooks doesn't mean, and you can see, I know your listeners can't see, but behind me are tons of books. We have thousands of books in the house. I probably buy more print books now that I read ebooks than uh, even before. So uh, ebook keener means I am uh, eager to get that because when I travel, for example, and I, you know, prior to the pandemic, I traveled a lot. I, uh, I love to read. I love to always have a book on me because here's the challenge when you travel, you pack a book in your bag and you're like, well, what if, what if I f- finish it when I, before the trip is over, I better pack a second backup book. But what if I don't want to read that book now? What if I want to read a different one? And you suddenly got six books in your bag, but the beauty of me and I, and I'm, I'm in Canada. So I have a, I have a Kobo. It's kind of like Canada's answer to the Kindle. And, and so I have my Kobo with me, but I can have thousands of books on me. So it doesn't matter. And, and if, and if I, want to just grab something, I can just grab it from the from the online store and it syncs to my device instantaneously. So I don't have to worry as much. Although I still do carry one or two print books with me. Because you know, I listen to audiobooks, I read ebooks and I still read print books. So ebook keener just means I'm open and uh, and and eager to share my love about ebook reading with uh, the general population. <laughs> now I, I have a Kindle down here in the US. I have a Kindle and I do myself, I have thousands of books on there. Yeah. I have Kindle Unlimited, so I can, you know, I have access to all the books that I want to read. I am an avid yeah. reader. I probably average two books a week. Just wow. love, That's love great. reading. Um, but it took me a while to embrace the ebook thing, uh, you yeah. know, and sometimes you just need that hard copy book so you can turn the pages, you can smell the paper. There's just oh, yeah. something about having a book, you know, or on a beautiful yeah. summer day, you're sitting out on your deck and you got some iced tea or whatever your favorite beverage is and just sitting yeah. there relaxing with all the sounds of nature and you got that book in your hand. Sometimes you, you oh, just yeah. can't beat holding one in your hands. That's for No, sure. no, I, 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 I love that experience too, which is why I am, I'm surrounded by, by physical <laughs> books all the time. But 
you know, what I love about the magic of reading is oftentimes when you fall into a book, when you're so captivated by the story, doesn't matter if it's print, ebook, or even an audiobook, the minute you've fallen under the magical spell of the writer, you're in that world and whatever the, the means of getting it to you, um, you know, that means is different. Now, a, a good friend of mine, Kevin J. Anderson, who is a, a, a New York Times bestselling science fiction author, he often says, what's the real music? Is it, is it listening to the band perform live? Is it the, the vinyl pressed album? Is it the cassette tape? Is it the um, CD? Is it the MP3 on your iPhone? What's the real song? The real song is the emotion you feel. It's that experience you get. And it's the same thing with a book. I agree. And you said fall in a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> and also the magical spell. I use those exact words all the time. And I use it for reading because I'll be like, if I find a book that I can literally fall into, I will immediately look up that author and try and read everything else that they've written yeah. or, you know, this magical spell. Like, and I'm always saying authors, those good, those good authors out there, I say that they are weavers of words and they're oh, yeah. able, they're able to weave things into this magical tapestry yes. so when you said those words i'm sitting here you know with going oh this is so exciting because i'm not <laughs> the only one who says this <laughs> and it's the same with music like you had mentioned about what your friend said songs there are certain songs i don't just listen to them i fall into them and when they oh, end yeah, you, you kind of you know you look around like oh oh it's done it ended you just yeah. fell into it exactly love it love it love it so you are an author of numerous books and i know that you just had one recently published a few months ago so uh share a little bit about that i think what is it called fright nights big city yeah yeah so that is the the latest uh novel in my canadian werewolf series which started off with a canadian werewolf in new york um uh fright nights big city isn't an, an, like the title of the original book in the series it's a nod to, or a cheeky reference or play on words to perhaps a a book or movie with a similar name yeah. and and, and <laughs> really? that's kind of <laughs> that's part of the marketing because it's sort of a, a urban fantasy uh, adventure novel about a man named michael andrews who is uh happens to be a werewolf he's just trying to live a normal life he's a writer and uh he turns into a wolf uh for 10 days uh, every month uh, and, and he turns into an actual wolf and has no human consciousness of it but when he's a human he has the um the side effects he has enhanced abilities strength and uh, and senses and he uses these to help other people so he's sort of sort of an unwilling hero because he can't help but overhear things and see things or smell things that maybe he wouldn't normally and he ends up uh, wanting to use these powers to help people so he not only has to deal with the side effects of waking up naked in some random location wondering what he did the night before and maybe try to get home find some clothes and get home or whatever which happens to him quite often but he also um he's tr he's trying to do to trying to do good so in fright night's big city He's just returned from Los Angeles, where he has encountered a neo-Nazi uh, white supremacist group that is out to terrorize uh, the city and create a cult of superpowered bad guys using, you know, some black magic combinations, science black magic, etc. And uh, and they have um, followed him back to New York 
where they are going to turn uh, the big apple uh, into a rotten apple by infesting it with hate and fear and turning it into sort of a, it's almost like um, some of the scenes or some of the actions are inspired a little bit by um, the purge. So these, these characters are in weird costumes, sneaking around the middle of the night and attacking people. And so Michael and, uh, and his girlfriend uh, that he met in LA, who happens to have some supernatural powers herself, and a good friend of his um, ex-girlfriend, but a dear friend, who happens to be an, a specialist in the occult because she runs an occult shop in New York City. They, they're working together to see what they can do to put a stop to this. Uh, and so that's the, that's the adventure of uh, Fright Night's Big City. That sounds incredibly interesting. And it sounds like a really fun read. Uh, I, I, I like to think so, but I'm a little biased, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a fun read, though. Yeah, and 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 so part of part of the cheekiness of the of the title, and I did that on purpose because you've got a dark cover with the wolf, and it's a really dark and foreboding. But you've got that cheeky title, and all of the chapter titles are very cheeky and funny because there's a lot of wry humor uh, in it. So Michael Andrews, I, I describe him as a an alpha wolf but beta human. So he's a like myself. He is a pushover polite small town Canadian living in a major city so he's kind of a fish out of water and he is not he is not a brave strong person he just finds himself in these situations and so he often uses humor to deal with the stress and anxiety of oh my god I'm fighting bad guys so a lot of the a lot of his uh, it's told first person perspective from his point of view a lot of the humor comes from his nervousness kind of like that whistling past the graveyard so there's a lot of humor throughout the the book uh as well which which has always been an important element of of this series at least for me so this character how did you come up with this character i mean are there pieces of you or pieces of people that you know within this character i'm always curious as to how authors yeah form well, their characters <laughs> there's a lot of me in it like 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 me He's a writer like me. He's a big fan of Spider-Man comic books growing up <laughs> like me. He just loves the idea of living in New York City and being a writer there. Um, so th th there's those aspects of him like me. He's a pushover, mild mannered, <laughs> you know, kind of polite Canadian. Um, but unlike me, there's so many other things because they're, they're composites of other piece, uh, pieces. He actually came and I didn't even have a name for him. I was writing a short story specifically for an anthology market that was called The Monster, The Beast Within or something like that. And, and they, what the editor was looking for was he wanted to see the, the, the human behind the monster, like a Jekyll Hyde thing. He wanted to see, just focus on the human. So I thought, oh, I've never written a werewolf story. Why don't I, what if I was, and, and I'd been in New York for my very first time. I'd visited the city, fell in love with it. And I thought, hmm. What if you wake up naked in Battery Park with a bullet hole in your leg and the taste of human blood in your mouth and no idea what you did the night before? What would you do? How would you get home? How would you find clothes? Because you're butt naked. What if you're a minor celebrity who might be recognized? Uh-oh, you know, hijinks ensue. And that was the story. It was a 10,000 word story that I could never sell because it was like too long for most markets. I didn't sell it to that market, but a good friend of mine said, what happens next? And I said, nothing. Because it, it, as it ends, he gets to his destination and everything's okay. That's the end of the story. He's like, well, what happens next? <laughs> so that's when I decided to write a Canadian werewolf in New York to say, okay, what happens during the daylight hours for the whole rest of his day? And that's when I had a really fun time saying, oh, okay, uh, he's going to be on the David Letterman show. There's going to be a fight to the death while they're recording the show. <laughs> 
he's gonna he's gonna his ex-girlfriend's gonna show up uh and ask for his help because she knows he's a, a wolf like all of these things are gonna happen while he's constantly distracted from what he really just wants to do is sit down and write this book and so, so this all this all came from you visiting new york city and just having this random thought yeah hey what if there was a what if there was a werewolf in battery park with a shot in his leg i mean that's you know most people yeah. really don't have that kind of thought when they're just walking around a city visiting but i think no i feel bad for them i know <laughs> They must leave kind of boring lives, huh? <laughs> uh, I love I love hearing those stories of how how things came about. What's the first book you wrote? Uh, the first book I wrote was a collection of short stories called One Hand Screaming, uh, which I put together in 2004. It was mostly previously published stories that had been in uh, small press magazines all over the place. And, and I felt, wow, all, the, all these years of writing and I've, I don't have a book out. So I self-published it and put, them all, put it all together and went, yeah, I have a book now. Funny that you say that because that's exactly yeah. what I did. Really? Literally. Yeah. I had been writing, I had been interviewing veterans. I'm a veteran. So right. the, my local newspaper asked me if I would contribute a monthly column regarding veterans um, issues and it it kind of morphed from veterans issues into interviews with veterans and their time oh. in combat okay and i did that each month for years and then i had all these stories and i'm like people had been saying why aren't you putting these in a book and i'm like yeah. well, i don't know why why shouldn't i so i did and i self-published it oh perfect <laughs> and that's exactly yeah that's exactly how uh how my journey started but, but when that, you that's but that's that's brilliant because uh, you had an article or an interview with someone and it was in a paper, but then it's not available, you know, you know, whatever, weeks, months later. So what the book does is it brings it back so that somebody who did, learned about it later went, well, I can't find that newspaper anymore. I can't find that magazine. They can easily find it in a book, right? So you, you gave it that beautiful permanence um, for the veterans you interviewed as well as for the stories that you wrote. Over the years, because this was years ago, over the years, I've had family members say, you know, remember when you, you know, you interviewed my grandpa yeah. or you interviewed my dad and they have since passed because a lot of the folks that I interviewed were World War II veterans and oh yeah, they're, you know, we don't have a whole lot of them yeah. living anymore, but what a, what a blessing it was to have that opportunity to talk to all of these amazing men and a couple women, amazing right. individuals. But that's how I started my journey of, you know, wow. hey, I think I think I like this. But when you did that, the reason I asked is when you put that out into the world and you said that yourself, you had had those published in smaller publications. When you put that right. out as an actual book out into the world, did you have any of that, you know, like thing, that feeling in your stomach? You're like, oh, are people going to read it? Oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, there, there was that uh, that bit of a fear. I, I remember uh, a, a friend of mine, science fiction writer, describing she had done um, biology textbooks, but it was just she, that was her living. And then when she started writing fiction, she said, oh, my God, it felt like I was standing naked on the front lawn. And yeah, because when these when these stories appeared in small press magazines, maybe the circulation was 500 or, or whatever, and they were limited. But when it was a book that could be available uh, anywhere, that suddenly meant the 
you know, it, it could be seen uh, by, by way more people still to this day. I was also nervous and scared of the fact that I was self-publishing because um, the going wisdom back in 2004 was the best way to kill your career was to self-publish. And, and, and I hid behind the Stark Publishing imprint. I had a, a buddy of mine design a logo for me. I just established a, a company name and, and registered it that year. And, and, I, and I did everything I could to hide the fact that it was self-published because I didn't want anyone judging me, thinking, well, it's not good enough. And, and, I, and I told myself, even though I had, everyone has, I still have imposter syndrome, is I said, well, 80% of these stories had been published, had been selected out of a slush pile and, and published and edited by an editor somewhere. Even if I made $5 or $500 for the story, it made it past. It, it graduated out of, the, out of the junk pile. Therefore, they're good enough. And then the two or three extra pieces I put in that kind of fit for the anthology had, had never been uh, in print before. So um, I kind of hid behind that a little bit because I was scared of people judging me. However, I honestly think it was one of the smartest decisions I made because when I uh, pitched a book to a traditional publisher uh, several years later, they could look back on how hard I busted my butt and worked. And I did make the book fully returnable. I made it available through the early version of Ingram lightning source print on demand. So I could at the time when I was traveling to the States, for example, call up a Barnes Noble two or three months in advance and say, Hey, here's my ISBN. I got a book coming in, happy to come in and do like, I see your downtown store. I'll do a lunchtime book signing. Any one of these days books, fully returnable. You can order it from Ingram. <laughs> and I was able to do stuff like that for months and months. So I, I think it actually, when, when I went to sell a book to a traditional publisher, I think they looked at it and went, okay, dude knows what he's talking about. Right. Right. Yeah. You were, you, you took yourself through the trenches on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Because it is, it's, it's an amazing, an amazing learning experience when you're just starting out doing everything on your own and you're yeah. going, oh, what am I supposed to do? And that imposter syndrome is so real. It, it's so yeah. real. And like you said, even today, you still have it. Even yeah. today, you know, I've been writing since 2004. And even today, I get that, yeah. you know, and even if it's a short story, if I'm, or if I'm putting out, cause I collaborate I coordinate um, collaborative book projects, so anthologies. Right. And even when I'm, you know, I'm thinking, oh, my name is on the front cover. Oh, are people going to oh read this? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny. I, I sold, uh, I had an editor ask me to send a story to an anthology that they were editing. And, uh, and, and, I, and I wrote the story and I sent it off. And then I, I didn't hear back. And I thought the editor is probably so embarrassed to tell me how much my story sucked that they didn't get back to me. When the editor got back to me, they said, oh my God, it's it's actually my favorite story for this collection. <laughs> and I, there I am thinking, oh my God, it sucks so bad that they're, <laughs> they don't, don't even want to reach out to me because they feel so bad about it. I, I mean, know, it never goes away, right? No, it doesn't. And, you know, and every single person I've talked to that's, that's a writer or they're a published author or they're just beginning, maybe they're journaling. They're like, oh, I could never share. Yeah the stuff, the stories that I write in my journal. But then if they share one with you, you know, maybe verbally or something, you're thinking that is, that is awesome. You just pulled me in what you, you should do something else with this. They're, oh, no, I couldn't, you know, and yeah. it's, 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 it's automatic with yeah. every single writer and author that I have talked to that, that little, I call it the D man, little D man sits on your shoulder saying, <laughs> you know, you think this is good enough? You think? Yeah. 
what yeah. do you, you know, and you have to. <laughs> what do you think you are? Yeah, who do you think you are? <laughs> exactly. Do you have anything that you say to yourself to get yourself out of that little thing that that's trying to pull you into that whole, you know, I'm not worth this. Do you have anything that you say to yourself? Well, I have to, I, I kind of remind myself that regardless of what I've published, I mean, and, 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 and I get my share of one star reviews and haters too, but regardless of anything that I've put out there into the world, there has been at least one person <laughs> who has loved it and thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I'm not talking about my mom because she doesn't like what I write. <laughs> Right. She does not. She's like, Mark, why can't you write a nice story, like a nice romance instead of like this dark stuff? So like she's not a fan. So even my mom doesn't give me wouldn't give me one, she'd give me a one star review. So I, I think about I think about the the people who've reached out over the years and the various um, feedbacks, uh, you know, that I've gotten from from readers and think, well, what I wrote resonated with someone somewhere, somehow it could be a moment, a character, a scene, uh, a way that I, I wrote something, a description that just resonated with them. And, and that's the thing I remind myself is, no, it's not perfect. And I'm not a, I'm not a perfect writer. I, I, I keep working at it. I keep trying to get better. I want to be a better writer like so many of the writers I admire. But something in the writing I've done has moved someone. And, and I have to remind myself of that, that yes, this can be better you're always going to find you're always going to find that but you know I, it's probably it's probably going to touch someone it's probably going to reach someone somewhere and one of the reasons i love being a storyteller is really is that connection that you actually that intimate dance that you end up having with the reader in a time and space that is magical and separate from the moment you wrote it exactly exactly and you're right it is a dance it is a dance i wholeheartedly yeah. agree on that I like how you explained because I think the same way and a lot of a lot of writers I, I know think the same way too. If there's one person out there who truly enjoys that story and falls into it like we were talking earlier, then that that's worth some of the angst. Yeah. You know? And oh, yeah. because you you've shared you've been given a gift and you're supposed to be doing something with it. Yeah. That's how I feel anyway. Right. And sometimes I'm not sure which direction I'm supposed to go. I'll be like, well, I've been doing this. Wait, I'm supposed to go here now. So yeah. you second guess yourself and then, you know, you wonder what you're doing. But then it just comes back to every day, try and be a little bit better than you were the day before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Try exactly. something new. Think outside the box, you know, jump, jump out of the boat every once in a while, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's it's and it's fun. It's a fun ride. It's nerve wracking and frustrating, but also exhilarating at times. And it can make you laugh hysterically or bring you to tears on certain days. A hundred percent. And and I think what you said is if you don't push yourself to the limits, if you don't experience a little bit of that fear and adrenaline, maybe that <laughs> maybe you're missing out on, right. on on what what you could do, like pushing yourself to the limits. I mean, I'll give you an example. So Fright Night's Big City, I had, I struggled with that because the previous novel in the series, uh, Fear and Longing in Los Angeles, was meant to be written a certain way. And I had everything mapped out. And then I met with a developmental editor, Clark Chamberlain, and started talking through it. And just after working with him, as I was just about to begin the original manuscript, I didn't even leverage half of what he said until I was about three quarters of the way through the book, uh, Fear and Longing in Los Angeles, when I realized, 
oh my god that thing clark told me and i sat back and went this is two separate novels and it was kind of like that work we did two months ago came back and, and got me and and i realized um it was a terrifying experience to go oh i have to reconceptualize this entire thing and it was terrifying to to do that and went oh my god um and then uh, silly enough i just went and said I reached out to my my cover designer and said, "Hey, dude, um, I need another cover." Um, and I went and put the book up for pre-order before I even finished the other book that was already up for pre-order. I was like, <laughs> "Talk about scaring myself!" Going, "Okay, I've now committed to two different books, <laughs> <laughs> and I have to wrap up the first book because people can read them as standalones. I have to wrap up the first book, but also have a bigger plot arc that can continue into a right. second book for those who want to follow it." And it was kind of like, that was a terrifying thing to do, but oh my God, I'm so glad I did it because I discovered things in the writing of those two and splitting them out that um, I think helped me uh, as a writer. I love when people toss those golden nuggets at you. Yeah. You know, and you, you might not, you might not catch them at first, but then they kind of like boomerang back at you and hit you in the back of the head and you're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's like, I wasn't ready to hear it when he told it to me, but I figured it, I figured out what he was telling me once I was in the thick of things. Right. And you know, you said that perfectly. I wasn't ready to hear it when he was telling me. And sometimes yeah, exactly. we get, we get so stuck in our own heads and on our own stories and our own little self-importance, like, no, no, this is how it has to be. This is how I have to do it. Yeah. I think every author, every writer needs a com someone completely outside of your bubble yeah to tell you know i mean that's why there's beta readers and stuff like that of course yeah but i always try and find one person that i know is is not even interested in yeah. what i write and say can you read this you know here's 1500 words can you read it and tell me what it makes you feel if it makes you feel anything you know right. and sometimes you're like wow i was really surprised that you brought tears to my eyes i wasn't expecting that or i will get you know hey that it needs a little work right yeah. yeah you know and i appreciate all of it you have to have a thick skin as oh for sure oh 100 percent. i mean <laughs> yeah you really really have to um uh no know, know, know that the things you you do the things you create are not going to be appreciated or enjoyed by everyone and that's just fine uh, I, I tend to look at when I see a one-star review or someone who just really hated it, I said, well, I guess, I guess you're not my target audience, mom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the love. No, no, but you, you know what I mean? Like, it is kind of like, it's just not for everyone. It's not their cup of tea. It's kind of like, I call it the pineapple on pizza factor. Uh, when I say pineapple on pizza, some people are going to be, yeah, I love it. It's the best thing. You got to have it. And other people are like, oh my God, you just ruined a, an entire food, yes. right? Because but what, what one person's going to love, someone else may hate. And that's fine. That, that's okay. We just have to make sure we serve the right pizza to the right people. Right. Exactly. And you know how I look at it? If someone gives you a bad review or something, they actually took time out of their day yeah. to do that. Oh, my God. Yeah. So you got their attention. <laughs> I made them feel something. Yes. Even if it was nausea or whatever. <laughs> right. But they, they literally took time. Because I'm often thinking... If you hated it that much, just be done with it. Yeah, yeah. You know, but no, they took the time to do this. Now we love reviews, obviously. Oh yeah. And I think every review, whether it's one or two star or five star, they all are incredibly. Actually, they're invaluable. 
Oh, and I actually, I actually think uh, low reviews are really critical because it shows the reader that this isn't everyone's cup of tea perfectly. If you, if I see something that only ever has five star reviews, I'm immediately skeptical and think it's, oh, that's never happens. Nobody loves for. everything. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I think it, it balances it out, right? It, it, because he's like, oh, I guess this got into the hands of some of the wrong people and they were, right. they hated it so much. They had to tell the world. Right. right. Uh, so I, I actually appreciate the negative uh, reviews as well. I've even learned from reviews. I, I've actually taken some reviews. I had a review on one, a short story collection uh, called snowman shivers, which was like terrifying snowman tales. And then one of the reviews, which said, you know, I was misled. Uh, th this was dark humor. This, these were not scary. And I went, oh, my God, he's right. I misled him. The subtitle was, yeah, scary snowman, uh, whatever stories, because I was going for alliteration. And I'm like, oh, my God, I lied to him. I changed the cover, made it more dark humorous, and changed the subtitle to dark humor snowman tales and i was like thank you mr one star reviewer yeah. for being honest because <laughs> i lied to the reader the cover was dark and creepy looking and the title suggested it was scary it wasn't scary it was dark humor right and that and that i is kind of like thank you for calling me up <laughs> i appreciate that so and i've actually used one star reviews to to help hopefully future readers know what to expect and that's perfect i mean you and you explained it perfectly because yet you can learn from that and yeah I think we need to yeah we have to learn from that because if you can't if you take offense by it then then you're not in the right spot yeah exactly yeah you, that's have, true. you have to have a thick skin and take it as constructive criticism regardless yeah. of how it's written or the words used just take it as <laughs> constructive and say okay well that person my stuff is not their cup of tea but there might be something in there let me let me take 10 minutes come yeah. back and reread it because right. there might be something like you just mentioned. Oh, he kind of called you out and you hadn't even realized that. Yeah. I was like, hey, thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Right. right. But it's it's <laughs> right. how we get better, right? As someone says, you know, that thing you said, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. I never thought of it that way. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You need those people outside of your bubble to yeah. point things out to you sometimes that, you know, was it uh, someone I know they... And I know folks can't see me, but when you're in your bubble, you've got your Kleenex box and it's right up against your nose. You can't <laughs> see anything but this. Exactly. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, I always yeah. thought that that was a perfect illustration of, you know, when you get in your bubble because yeah, you're blinding yourself to everything out here where all the color is. Yeah, you you're know? missing out on some real opportunities too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, this has been awesome. It went a different direction than I had um planned on but i love how that works that way <laughs> yeah that's amazing when we just embrace it and go with it right that's right just roll with it thank you so much mark for your time today i would love for you to share with our listeners where they can find all of your amazing books well you can find out everything you'd like to know about me and and things you don't want to know about me over at markleslie.ca Awesome. Awesome stuff. And all of this, his uh, links and stuff and book titles and all that will be in the show notes, folks. But thank you all for spending just a little part of your day with myself and Mark. And Mark, thanks again for being on Let Fear Bounce. It's been a complete joy. Let me know what's coming up next. Keep in touch so we can uh, maybe get you on here again in a few months and you can let us know what new things you've got in the works or that's coming out and you're thrown out into the world. Definitely. Well, thanks so much for the opportunity, Kim. It was great chatting with you. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Everybody, thanks again for listening. 
This is Kim Langling, your host of Let Fear Bounce. Be well, stay well, and be blessed.